there was an opportunity to kind of just access this emerging science of applying uh, psychedelic microdosing protocols or just psychedelic protocols in general to your uh, your health and wellness. Um, so what I tried to do with Silly is I, I thought, okay, well, if people are truly using these compounds as if they're just um, kind of like nutraceuticals or nootropics and stuff like that, you know, like how you take creatine or um, uh, even just like drinking coffee, you know, you don't want to take too much coffee because then you could get jittery. It can have negative implications on your sleep schedules and stuff like that. Um, I, I tried to structure silly so that it, it kind of catered to uh, the ability to create psychedelic microdosing protocols because they're very different than anything else. And so if you do supplement tracking uh, or uh, just nutrition tracking with an app, you'll notice that it's pretty standard. Um, you know, some apps have, you know, better analytical uh, services or, um, you know, better dashboards or, you know, this or that. But none of them really had uh, anything to kind of like customize um, like a, a tracking schedule. And so that's that's kind of like what I wanted to produce um, uh, just to like make sure that, you know, yeah, you can create a schedule for your vitamins and that'll work and you can create a schedule for tracking, uh, you know, food intake and that will work and we'll analyze that as well. Um, but what was missing from everyone else and what I tried to encapsulate was the ability to have odd schedules that um, are similar to what people have started using in the psychedelic community for microdosing and also what people have been using for um, other things like curinopurines, uh, um, which is like a, a very close. Um, you probably heard about it on that podcast that I showed you, actually, um, where they talked about it. Uh, it's like a, a, a dopamine analog, basically. Um, I think it's actually it, it contains L-dopa, which is literally just dopamine. So. So yeah, that's um, that's that's the gap that I saw, and the market that I am trying to service, um, but you know it's um, it's it's tricky because psychedelics are still very taboo, and um, you know they're definitely not for everyone, and I don't I don't promote people to try psychedelics if they're not already using it, and especially if they haven't talked like to a doctor or consulted like a uh you know some medical staff that they consistently rely on i mean i see so i actually have been using the app just to like you know go through what 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 features are there and how everything is connected and i i kind of saw you know how everything is pretty customizable it's like you know, you can add your own things that you would like to track. Like, for example, you can track sleep if you want to. You can track focus hours if you want to. Like, you have kept everything quite open for the end user. And I, I think the first time we discussed, uh, you mentioned that not a lot of data has been produced in a very scientific way for the research, uh, especially in the psychedelic area. It's very recent. Like, all the links that you sent me over email I have been going through I went through all of them. Like I, you know, scanned all the uh, research papers you uh, you sent me, and almost all of them started with the like started with the like single idea that 
the whole field of research in this realm became popular only since 2018 and i and i believe two or three of them were like scientific research paper reviews so you know most of the work that has been done is only like 3 to 4 years old so i would say like the idea that you know you're trying to keep things open so users can kind of adapt to the app or or i would say the better way to put it is they can adapt the app according to their requirements and just use it overall as to so it's like you're not forcing them into a into a system they can they can build a system around yeah 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 and so that actually uh what what you're touching on and i should explain it is um there's a uh, very specific biomechanics uh that you can you can exploit uh on an everyday basis to just kind of maintain uh, a better quality of life and so that's kind of how i decided to create silly i tried to structure it so that um the system and the the user interface and uh kind of like how you can construct your own protocols and customize it catered to to you and to meet your needs still abide by the same rules and the same logic that you would expect to be applied uh when you're talking about any drug compound or any uh diet that you're on um you know at the end of the day these things have pathways that they travel through in your body and what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to uh you know kind of bring that uh expertise that we know about in the scientific literature to the user and make it really easy to not only establish some consistency and maintain a well-balanced protocol uh but also to better understand how things are affecting your body and how you can possibly improve upon a protocol you know i was using the app and the one question that uh i wanted to ask you is that uh there is a feature called the protocol or i would say there is a statistic about the protocol in the app do you think you can explain to me what is a protocol from a from this perspective on the dashboard are you talking about cuz it changes over time actually which you might not n- know yeah so another activity section it it says this is week 1 and you are track tracking two stacks and protocols for this week is 3 what i tried to do uh and this is why i i had to clarify what which part of uh the analytics dashboard you were looking at is um if a user has been on for 1 week per se um i show them uh you know those those statistics and those metrics for for that first week however after 2 weeks they see a comparative view so what they see is uh this is how many protocols you have this week and this is how you've improved since last week or something like that and then over time it continues to evolve so after one month we track like two weeks compared to the previous month and then you know after two months it's like okay this is how uh these two weeks have been the past two weeks over the past two months rolling average or something like that um that makes makes it so that as uh the person's usage of the application evolves and continues to develop so too does the app it responds in kind 
to show them, you know, more updated information. So what you were seeing is like kind of the first week view. And that's just kind of like to introduce you to, okay, so this is how many protocols that you have had. And so like on the home screen, for example, you get to see, uh, you know, the delivery time of the protocol, uh, what the protocol was, um, you know, and then you can expand it to see like what substances that you had listed under there. So if it's like, you know, vitamin D and uh, like fish oil or something like that, then it's just like a reminder. Um, and so that dashboard uh, kind of like sets that up so that the user can uh, kind of like easily interact with um, and kind of remember like, okay, did I take that? Did I use this? How frequently have I used it this week? Something like that. I see. So by protocol, uh, does it mean it's the number of usage? Like, okay, how are you, like, when are you supposed to take in the dose? Is, is that what that means? It's more like a schedule. Yeah. So no, each, uh, so a, a protocol uh, refers to, uh, I mean, basically the substance uh, combination that you're using attached to a schedule. And so, for example, like you can use um, the same drug in, in, in two different protocols. You know, like if I have vitamin B and I want to take it twice a day, uh, or maybe let's say that I want to take it once every day in the morning, and then I want to take it once every other day in the afternoon, you can set up those two different protocols. And so that's what I call a protocol is, you know, a, one specific schedule with uh, one uh, combination of of drug components or n nutritional components and stuff like that. So if you if you have three protocols uh, listed, what that means is that you have three different schedules that are showing up, and those can have different or the same uh, uh, drug components um, or nutrition components listed under them. Patrick, uh, first of all, welcome to the Research Labs podcast. Uh, over yeah, the last time we had a chance to have a conversation, I would say uh, for the first time, I talked about psychedelic drugs from a product perspective because that's what you are trying to build. You're trying to not just build, build a product to help people who are already using psychedelic drugs, but also I would say today I learned that, you know, you are trying to make make it into a more broad general purpose app where you can basically track any kind of nutrition vitamins uh, you know you are taking whether you are a patient of depression or whether you are just a normal person who wants to live a healthier life uh, that's the kind of work you're trying to do and I you know I, I kind of asked you last time as to how you got started with building such a project and I, the, your answer was pretty fascinating to me personally because you explained that you know you have been reading a lot about the research side of psychedelic drugs and it intrigued you so much that you felt compelled to build a product out of it and i was really curious to understand like how did you and how did you end up let's say reading research on psychedelics to begin with and how how was that journey like or or we can start like way prior to that 
in the sense what were you doing before you started working on this app yeah so i mean um yeah this is going to be surprising to you i mean it's surprising to me i didn't ever think that i'd be working on like psychedelic stuff or uh even the precursor to psycho- psychedelic stuff which was cannabis um so I'll kind of like give you the my life story over the past like five years, which has kind of like been interesting, um, somewhat thanks to COVID, but you know, that's why I'm here. So, you know, it, it, I don't know. So everyone seemed to have uh, an interesting past couple of years. So I was in um, graduate school at Syracuse University um, and I've always been uh, like uh, an energy and uh, physics nerd. So um I was working at the university doing uh, research. I was also working at a an incubator, uh, doing like techno technology mentorship. Um, so my my degree focus was in uh, applied data science, which is in machine learning and systems architecture and stuff like that. Um, so I did a lot of stuff. Uh, I did research operations uh, and um, analyses uh, with the university in the Smart Grid Research Center. Um, and that also, I started working with, um, like cybersecurity stuff. Uh, I've worked with, uh, NIST, which is, um, the National, uh, Institute of Standards and Technology in the United States, um, on a couple of different projects. Uh, so I'm not like who you would think of as a person that would start building a product for psychedelics. Um, but one day I was at the incubator that I was working at, um, that I was mentoring at and, uh, a doctor came in and, uh, he, he's, a, he was, he's a retired neurosurgeon. Uh, he was actually the chief resident neurosurgeon of upstate medical university hospital, uh, which is a, a, a very well-known, uh, hospital for the state of New York, um, which is where I currently live. And, uh, he had this idea. His name is Gary, Gary Rodzowitz. Uh, he had this idea and he was like, okay, I opened up a cannabis practice a couple years ago. Uh, and this was in the early days of, uh, the New York state medical cannabis program. Um, and I was like, okay, well, like, well, how am I going to help you? Like, I don't, I don't understand what you're, what you're getting at here. And he was like, well, I'm, I'm thinking about building, uh, an application service, uh, for, you know, helping, uh, dispensaries and stuff like that kind of uh, properly adjust the dosing uh, of medical cannabis. So for mostly for anxiety, uh, PTSD, uh, and depression patients, um, just, you know, dealing with sleep problems and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I have uh, no idea about the space, um, but I'll help you. And I was helping him mostly with setting up the technology. Uh, our relationship evolved and um, he can, we, he continued to employ me. Uh, and so I was like, well, you know, if I'm working on these systems, I should at least know, uh, what like the medical literature is on them. So like if things, um, start to happen and I need to take on a bigger responsibility and, uh, move quickly to adjust things. Um, I want to know, uh, a little bit about, you know, potential pitfalls and hazards that we could face, uh, you know, on, on the medical side of things. Um, so while I was doing that, I, let's see, I, I started researching about psychedelics because I found articles because, you know, 
the search engines, um, you know, I guess, thank God for the, 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 the research uh, article search engines, decided that they were going to recommend um, psychedelics to me as well. Uh, so it was basically like, okay, you're reading about cannabis papers. So you should also read the psychedelic papers. And I was like, okay, well, that, that actually sounds interesting. Like I've, I, before that I had never used psychedelics. Um, I had no experience with psychedelics at all. I'm still very unfamiliar with the psychedelic, like in terms of my personal experience with it. Um, and I was just, I, I was blown away by the results. Uh, that they were finding. Um, and the way that they were looking at it was very nuanced and uh, in intriguing to me, especially with the Johns Hopkins research studies. Um, and so after that, it was just kind of like, I, I don't know, it just gripped me. I just wanted to know more about it. And here I am. <laughs> so what what happened to the project? Is it still on? Or that's that's not going on. Okay, okay. So you do two, you're doing two things at the same time right now. Yeah, yeah. It's um uh, very very demanding and very fun. But <laughs> I I would say uh, it's very recent that you know uh, cannabis and like CBD and things like that have been growing in New York. Like you know you will see like a CBD stall every in every mall you go to. Yeah. Have you, have you like, you know, had a personal experience with any of the drugs lately or? No. Um, well, so I, <laughs> when, when we were doing the medical cannabis stuff, I got my, I got my medical cannabis card. So I wanted to figure out, okay, what are people who are going to be going to these dispensaries going to be experiencing and how, how is that going to impact how they interact with whatever technology we produce. So we produced um, an algorithm basically to uh, work as a as as a guide of you know like if you're experiencing side effects, uh, then you should increase your CBD this much and decrease your CBD this much and stuff like that. Um, so there's a whole there's a whole background of of information and knowledge, uh, mostly from uh, Gary uh, about like the neurobiology of this stuff. Um, but I wanted to know, uh, okay, if, if I were a person who had to use this, like how easy is the process, you know, like what tools would I use, um, just to kind of like inform how I should structure like, uh, an onboarding system or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was like, well, now that I have it, like I should probably also, <laughs> you know, I should, I'm, I'm making it sound like it was a chore, but it was not a chore. It was fun, but, <laughs> uh, I should probably go and see like, actually, what does the medical grade cannabis do to you and like this amount and stuff. And I'd never been, um, a, a marijuana person. Um, you know, I tried it like a couple times when I was younger, like in college and stuff. And it just, it, it wasn't for me. Um, but, uh, you know, I could see how it could help people. Um, you know, I tried to use it for sleep a couple of times, like the medical stuff. Um, and you know, it works. Uh, I, I still don't think it's for me. I, I felt kind of groggy, but that's like one of the things that, um, the other company that I'm working on is, uh, trying to like, uh, mitigate is trying to find the right formulations for you and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of psychedelics, uh, I, I did try psychedelics one time. Um, and it was a, it was a, it was a good experience. 
Um, but for the past like two years or more, um, I haven't had any experience with either cannabis or any psychedelic. And I, I, I've consciously made the decision to abstain from that because I, when I'm building these products, uh, especially when I'm building silly, I don't want my own experience with compounds that people could be using on the application to, uh, kind of reflect how I build the application. And I don't want to, you know, kind of, uh, uh, push my, my own personal bias subconsciously, maybe onto the experience of the user and how the user can possibly interact with the application. Um, so that's just, that's my preference. Um, and that's kind of like how I approached it. Um, you know, but I, I do think like, uh, they have potential. They're non, they're not harmful really almost at all. Uh, so that's, that's my personal experience with psychedelics and with other drugs. So, yeah. So, you know, uh, when you go to the app, there are majorly three options. There is home, there is insights, and then there is profile. And I, I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I think in the profile section, you can add goals and challenges. Oh yeah. Yeah. This has been something that, um, I've been looking into a lot lately. So I, I'm actually really looking forward to digging a little bit into this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So let's say on the home section, you can like add what dose you're taking and it will show you ins and it will show you like, you know, how you're doing as per the, you know, uh, I would say parameters you want to track. That, that makes sense. That's the kind of uh, product you're building. But even last time, I, I would say uh, you were kind of psyched about uh, the profile section, which has goals and challenges in it, challenges in it. And even I find it quite interesting how you have, you know, tried to put that in this particular app. Could could you explain how that idea came about and, and what's up with the idea right now? Well, at, at first, just like anything on this application that you'll see, um, the the first thing that I wanted to do when I built this app was, um, which I guess I should, I should preface this discussion, uh, with a bit of information to kind of like wrap up the story about the psychedelic journey of how I got started with it. So I was talking with people on, uh, Reddit. So there's a, a microdosing Reddit subreddit and, um, uh, people were sharing their experiences and, and why they were using the psychedelics. So people were talking about, um, I'm using this and this much to uh, remedy uh, like depression, or I'm using this and this much before a workout. Uh, and this is my experience. And they would also talk about like the bad things too, um, which I thought was more insightful sometimes than the good things. Um, and so I, I, when I built the app, the first time I built the app, which was just like a, a very early prototype version. Um, it was basically just to see if I could create something that had value, but more importantly, allowed me to kind of study in a more rigorous way uh, what people were using and why they were using them and if it was successful or not. That's basically why I built the app. And then it started to evolve into, oh, this is like actually becoming helpful for people to track their you know, their own issues and, um, maintain a schedule. 
And so I started just adding more features and, uh, you know, built the native app and, and integrated the notification system. And now I'm just kind of like obsessed with um, propping up uh, each each person that's using the application as best as, as I can. And so the goals and the problems section, which is not very well integrated uh, in the application at all, I must admit, um, I kind of put there uh, not knowing what to do with it at first, um, thinking that, you know, people had described why they were using the components that they were using, uh, the drug components that they were using, but um, I didn't have that at first. And so I decided to add it just to see if people would use it. Uh, I didn't expect them to. And then actually like a couple weeks ago, or like maybe like a month or, or so ago, I was refactoring some things on the application and to my surprise, I was going to delete the goals in the problem section uh, because I wasn't sure if anybody was using it. And I, I just honestly didn't want to be troubled with having to refactor that in addition to everything else. But to my surprise, people were using it a lot. Um, and that kind of blew me away because um you know, I know that how you frame what you're dealing with is important, which I, which is why I have the goals and the problems. It's the same thing, by the way. It's just how you mentally encapsulate what you're dealing with and how that's going to inform what you're going to do. And, you know, going forward, I'll have a whole analytic system to look at that and kind of like uh, de devise a system to recommend articles to read or things to listen to to help the user kind of like figure out how they want to adjust uh, their protocol and um, compare it to like other people who might have more success with a protocol than they're having and what's different. That's where the app is going to be going. But um, yeah, the goals and the problems thing uh, has been, has been interesting. Um, so I, I really am, I only have it in there right now so that the user has an outlet to uh, kind of list what they're, trying to tackle in their life um but what it's turning into right now um which is what i'm working on is uh integrating it into kind of a, a workflow i guess you could say in the user's story so they can list different challenges that they have and kind of like checklist like okay uh if they're for example like some people's goals which i have up right now is um, like running, uh, running, walking, yoga, and weights. Um, and then they have subtasks that are listed out. So what I want to do is I want to try to figure out a way to encapsulate um, how a protocol relates to like the success of crossing off those goals um, and try to like see if I can help the user kind of like manage their expectations, um, their ups and downs, um, stuff like that, balance out their protocol so that they can more effectively uh, reach the goals or deal with the issues that they're dealing with um, more effectively. Um, so that's what that's what's going on there. You know, uh, after reading all the papers I read, uh, over and over again, there was mention of depression and anxiety, how microdosing uh, is proving to help people deal with these two things particularly. Although uh, everyone kind of also mentions that the results are still very subjective and, the, and it's very therapeutic in nature. 
I think it's also uh, important to mention just on the podcast that microdosing kind of means taking very uh, one tenth. Yes, there is a there is a definition for it. It's anywhere from uh, one. I think it's one one hundredth to one one thousandth of what you would consider a recreational dose. So if you're out there, I know people are doing this and I think it's stupid. Um, if you're taking one gram of mushrooms or uh, like an entire tab of acid that you got from some person on the street and you're not measuring it properly, you're not doing yourself any good. <laughs> That's not a microdose. That's not sticking to a protocol. Um, you're 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 offsetting your system and you're potentially enforcing uh rebound effects which if you're dealing with something and you're using it to deal with something you're not actually you're not actually helping your yourself or the situation that you're in so and do you think uh like in a way you are because of the app you're kind of giving people like a system that they can follow and be more mindful about the usage as well yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah, that is that is exactly because uh, what I um, what I what I cannot stand is I I see what's going on in the psychedelic industry, and uh, one thing that kind of like makes me sad is that uh, I feel like a lot of people are just hopping on the bandwagon of oh, cool, psychedelics are becoming cool again or something like that, and they're throwing caution to the wind, and um, my experience with, uh, with, with the people that are using silly, for example, or even the people that discuss this stuff on forums is that they're deal they're, they're honestly trying to deal with issues that are really important to them. Um, and, and but the industry itself, uh, like the culture around psychedelics almost like doesn't really care about that. They seem to be just like having fun with the fact that psychedelics are becoming popular and, and they might become mainstream or something like that. Um, and, it, you know, I'm sorry if I offend anybody out there, but um, the woo-woo, like kind of hippie BS that is engulfing the psychedelic space, which is very important. I understand that it's a part of the psychedelic culture. It's a part of the hippie culture of the 60s. Um, when we're talking about uh, medical applicability of this stuff, that has no space. And like, if you're a, if you're a just a shaman, uh, which you know, and and I mean not an actual shaman. There are actual shamans like ayahuasca journey shamans and stuff like that, which know what they're doing. They know the potential hazards. They 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 have everything pretty much figured out um, far ahead of what the medical literature knows now. Um, but like a person who just decides, oh, I've used mushrooms before, that makes me a shaman. No, it doesn't. Like, <laughs> so stop stop trying to tell people, uh, you know what they should be using, what they should be doing uh, when you don't actually you don't you don't know the you don't know the biomechanics behind all this stuff. I mean, and really like no one does to a full extent yet. So, um, that's really like what I tried to do with silly is like make it so that it was, uh, it was rigorous. It has to be rigorous. It has to be credible. It has to be by the book. It has to be informed by the literature and the science, but, and the research behind what makes, uh, a protocol or a dosing protocol, a microdosing protocol, 
or or for that matter any nutrition protocol anything that you take into your body what makes that work okay let's just follow that like <laughs> don't don't worry about um you know uh taking taking a uh, turquoise and topaz rocks and stuff like that with you <laughs> just 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 worry about the signs yeah and do, do do you feel that uh, because of the app you are kind of giving like a safety precaution net i mean i would hope so uh i mean like so here's the thing is that it, because it's such a a wild and um kind of a dangerous space to for a for a, a company to be operating in uh like i i just don't say anything about it i'm you know i i I point to articles. I say, uh, you know, this is how you should structure your protocol. I don't make any claim about the efficacy of uh, psychedelics uh, or any any drug component at all. Um, the application, its structure, its bones are really just a reminder system. And that reminder system also has an analytic system built in so that the reminders that you receive uh, correspond to the uh, uh, to the check-in system, the the analytic system that you have. Um, so it's it's very strange. It, it's I mean I wish that I could uh, bring on like psychedelic scientists to to work with me, and that we could produce protocols and suggestions and actual like medical recommendations about what the best protocols are in terms of their structure and how frequent and how much to use and stuff like that. But I, but I can't because that would be, that would be a company saying, uh, take this drug and, a, you know, uh, unless you're a doctor, you can't do that. So, um, it's a very weird space to work in. So basically what I have to do is I just have to tr try to provide a tool, uh, a set of tools that a person can use and structure uh, a more consistent lifestyle and account for what they're taking into their body and measure it appropriately and compare the two together. You know, it's, it's, it's hard because you have to make it generalizable so that people can put in whatever they need to. Uh, and also so that, you know, they don't get in trouble and you don't get in trouble. At the end of the day, what's nice is that um, because we're operating in the United States, uh, we get to claim that these are user inputs. These are just text, and so it's it's considered it's considered a speech, and it doesn't have any implication in terms of your actual usage of any illicit compounds or or drugs or anything like that, um, because it's just words, and you you really can't you. you if someone says, uh, like, you know, if I go outside and say, uh, hey, I'm about to go, uh, or like, hey, I just, uh, uh, I just did this thing. No one, no one can prove it. And also no one can arrest me because, you know, I could just be saying it. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, it's a tricky space. Apart from that, have you been, for example, when you are deciding that, okay, these are the kind of direction kind of features i want to take this is the kind of direction i want to take this product in are you also talking to like 
active users who are giving you feedback as to you know we found this really helpful and maybe if we could do this more often we would we would love that yeah um so like uh, so this is like the product side of things which is um you know something that i'm trying to get good at uh you know i have a feedback section in the application um and people have provided comments or like what they want to see fixed or issues that they're running into or you know different ways to lay things out on the application and that's been super helpful um i i do have a couple of people who are using the application uh who have kind of like been been interested and involved since like the first time that i mentioned that i was going to make it um who use the application and uh have you know thankfully uh decided to stick stick through all the pain points and when the app crashes and i'm having issues and stuff like that um they they let me know uh they tell me like what's going on on their end um but i've also like started to engage with other users uh who i who i don't know um at all and uh their insight into um how to make the app better for for them um, and for possibly many others I've been taking and I just, I try to just prioritize what people want out of the application. You know, I, I really don't have any, um, plans for the app other than integrating wearables, which is going to be a whole other thing. But other than that, I just respond to what, what people want out of the application. And, and you also talk from, uh, uh, feature perspective that there will be more integrated workflow for the challenges and goals with the rest of the application yeah what do you mean by that like what would what would happen so uh you know kind of like how there's a check-in system on the application where you can like log your your daily journals like your notes and stuff like that um you know part of that flow uh could be uh you know did you did you accomplish this um, I actually, I already like forever ago. Um, I thought about that as like uh, uh, how the goals and the problems would be used, but I just wasn't really sure how to uh, properly integrate it yet. I'm I'm starting to get close to what I think would be the proper integration um, for that feature or those features. But uh, how I really want it to work um, and how it's going to be laid out is, you know, uh, okay, you have this goal. The goal has a description. So you can write about it, but then it also has like, you know, subtasks that you need to fulfill. Um, and the goal can be, be considered complete. So eventually there's going to be like, is this complete? Yes or no. And so you'll have a history of like goals that you have completed and stuff like that. So you can see, and this will show up also on like the calendar. It'll show up on like your long-term analytics of like milestones that you've reached. Um, which I think is like important for people. I mean, like, I, I think they really need that. Um, they need to see, you know, what has been working. It, it's also important for the research too. Um, because if like certain protocols, uh, have more frequently led to, um, higher success rates of just achieving your own personal, your subjective goals, then we want to in investigate that. And researchers would want to invest, investigate that more so than things that seem to be kind of stagnant or uh, not really working, even if like the medical literature on it, for example, like the biomechanics is solid and known, um, it doesn't really matter unless uh, there's an actual, you know, application 
in in society in the wild and you know that's kind of like the disconnect which i'm trying to i'm trying to bridge the gap between you know how people are using it uh, you know uh unsupervised like totally on their own because they're already doing it they they, lit- they, they literally without even trying to understand the possible implications which is dangerous they're already doing it <laughs> so uh that's that's one thing and then you have the medical side of things which is you know very isolated instances that they measure and that's good for our understanding of the underlying uh you know pathways that a drug could take or uh a, a nutritional supplement could take or something like that to uh, impact the body but you know where's the in between like where's the middle ground and i think that um you know can technology uh can help us reach that middle ground where we can start having an overlap of what happens in the lab and what happens in the real world and those two can talk to each other so i think there's like a huge potential for silly to kind of be at least like one pillar on that bridge hmm. so i think this is a good segue to you know discuss about the other side of the app which is the researcher section yes which i think is pretty cool like if you're a researcher and you can simply apply to get api access and you can get anonymized data and you can technique like really look into it right so how how did that happen like my intention with this was basically to investigate how people are using things how efficacious are those protocols uh what's the frequency what does their life look like um you know can we determine what is a more successful or less successful protocol based on looking at that we're a, we're a long ways away from being able to do that uh but i thought to myself okay well uh there's no way that i'm going to be able to do that and build the application uh it you know and manage everything else um and i know that Uh, there are plenty citizen scientists or institutional researchers who are going to want to see the data anyways um so i just decided okay i'll anonymize the data uh from from the users uh and it's an opt out uh program so they if the user doesn't want their data shared they don't have to have their data shared um and the 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 researchers can basically just look at it and and any any of the data that they want and now that's that's the baseline that i have set up is you know it's got to be open um it's got to be accessible to researchers and stuff like that um the, i mean what what's the point of having this system uh if if we're not actually trying to like have a better understanding of what these protocols and what these substances are doing to people uh, i mean there there wouldn't be a point so um i mean there, you know there would be but it just wouldn't be it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be kind of like exploiting the full potential of uh how we can make a a, a better world with technology if i had not in- included the research side of things now in the future what i want to happen is i want researchers to be able to sign up to actually recruit subjects for research studies and admin- administer double blind placebo controlled trials through the application which technically speaking the technology um it's totally possible um you know i've i've engineered it so that is a possibility 
what that will do um, for us as a society is, uh, you know how much money it takes to administer a, a double-blind placebo-controlled trial today? No idea. It's a lot of money. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. For example, the most recent paper, the most rigorous paper, it's one of the ones that I sent you. Uh, it just got accepted and published in um, in Nature. Has 34 subjects. 34. That's that's not enough. <laughs> there, and and that's that. So that means that the blinded and the unblinded only has about seventeen. That's not uh, that's not enough people. It's a very small, yeah, yeah, a very small number of people. Yeah, yeah, you're not capturing a very large demographic or audience um, for your your research. It's a very rigorous study. However, they're using technologies that people integrate with their phones like how they actually measured uh biometrics was they sent each of the subjects a fitbit <laughs> okay yeah and then they just asked them hey uh take this cognitive test which was a game on a phone so are you, are you hearing what i'm getting at is it's possible let's just make it like cheap and accessible like if you integrate these systems you can make it like seamless so that researchers can not only just get the anonymized data, but they can actually, you know, manipulate a study and administrate a study through this technology. And it can be way cheaper, way cheaper than how we currently do it. Because everyone almost has the tech in their pockets. It's just that there is no tech layer on it, like a software layer on it that enables the researchers to access the people who are in it, which kind of you, what that's what you are doing right now. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm not there yet because, uh, well, I don't have wearables integrated. I also don't have like cognitive assessments <laughs> integrated into the application, uh, which I don't think people are actually going to use, honestly. I mean, maybe they will. Actually, I did have one user ask if I had that, and I, I, I don't. Um, there's very specific like, you know, memory tasks and games and stuff like that that you use for assessing cognitive performance, or at least it's, um, it's, it's, it's one way to assess cognitive performance. Um, but yeah, that, that is the goal, um, at least in, in my mind. I mean, I'm sure as this expands and I bring on, you know, new smart people and I start, uh, like working with, uh, more and more, uh, people from the, from the science, uh, side of things like the, the institutional research side of things, they're going to have what they want. The users are going to have what they want on the application and it's just going to evolve into something. Uh, I don't, I'm not really sure what, but. Um, at the end of the day, the app is really just there to help people maintain a consistent protocol, get better, uh, organize their life and their lifestyle, um, while at the same time, making sure that this data isn't just going to waste, you know, that we can actually study, study this stuff, uh, and, and, and apply it to our understanding of how different nuance compounds and protocols uh are are affecting people's lives and their health and stuff like that so are, are there researchers right now who are let's say accessing the data and like working on it uh as of this moment no i was working with a colleague who was a, a former colleague who was using the data um 
primarily uh, as like a um, uh, a favor to me. Um, she's a, a natural language processing engineer, and she does research in the natural language processing space. She publishes about NLP stuff, but she also consults with companies and organizations about um, kind of like how to pipeline uh, text data. And so I wanted to know, you know, how, how should I do that for anonymizing the data, stuff like that. So she was accessing it and helping me uh, get something set up. Um, there are people waiting for approval that I have not approved yet who would like access to the data um, simply because I haven't been able to uh, have a conversation with them. Um, just because I've been busy trying to manage everything else on the application. Because as of right now, the users come first. Researchers, you can wait. Uh, you know, plus there's not enough data for um, you know the big data factor to kind of come into play yet. So uh, even if whenever a researcher, so sorry, researchers, anytime a researcher wants access to the data, you'll get it eventually. Um, if you're unhappy that you haven't gotten access to the data yet. Uh, don't worry, you're not missing out on anything. Um, there's not enough data for you to have any statistically significant results uh, because it's also messy data. It's user, uh, it's a user application. They put in text data, and there's spelling errors, and you know, uh, you know, misspellings, and there's decimal places that are off and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of that is. There is a term for this, right? It's called self-reported data. Yeah. And all the papers I read that you sent me, I think it clearly mentioned that a lot of studies that, you know, the scientists have performed in the past, a lot of the data that they have is kind of self-reported. Yeah, because there is no, I forgot what it's called, but there is like most of the, even I was listening to the Dr. Matthew Johnson's podcast with Mr. Even they mentioned that uh, the kind of uh, practices they have in their labs are therapeutic in nature, which kind of means they're very subjective when it comes to actual experiences by the people who are in these tests. So, yeah, yeah. So, do you think uh, when when you say it's therapeutic in nature, right? then how, how do you factor that when, for example, when you are developing the app? The, the drug components themselves uh, are, are tricky. So um, when we're talking about how people are using psychedelics, uh, m most of the time they're using it for therapeutic reasons. But there are a few people who have caught on to what the literature has detailed um, in terms of neuroplasticity. So... Um, Okay, first of all, if if you uh, think that neuroplasticity is like a thing that you that you should try to increase, if you're listening to this, that's incorrect. Um, you you want to engage with neuroplasticity as a state for learning things or developing new skills. Um, however, you if your brain is always plastic, basically you're just going to forget everything that you learn. Uh, you want a less plastic brain in order to learn things. Like if you're not familiar with the protocols, you should definitely listen to Andrew Huberman's podcast about plasticity and how to learn things and stuff like that. So we already know that psychedelics uh, and other compounds as well increase uh, the plasticity of the brain. 
that should be viewed as a state. So some people um, are using the psychedelic compounds specifically for, uh, for, for, for the properties that they have that increase plasticity. So to learn things. One of the things uh, in the literature that you'll find is that um, if you stimulate the amygdala, uh, because psych- well, psilocybin specifically stimulates uh, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, um, if you undertake an activity like exercising, which stimulates the amygdala, uh, and you stress your body, um, you can you can start to integrate the pathways of using your prefrontal cortex when you're under the like the stimuli of stress okay so what does that mean basically if you want to get better at handling stress stress your body a psychedelic can help with that a psychedelic can help with strengthening how well you uh your basically your ability to access um thought pathways to use your prefrontal cortex which is like the ability to problem solve observe things it's you know it's what contains the self so observe your environment um actually kind of like use problem solving uh and and cognitive thought in an approach to solve something that which is a stressor and you know anxiety for example is the inability to do that uh it's the inability to access your prefrontal cortex and it's just your amygdala basically spamming your brain and you 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 can't think and you can't comprehend things in, in situations very well. Some people are using it for that. Um, very, very few. But most people are using it for, like you said, therapeutic reasons, um, which in the literature, like we just mentioned, uh, it's a lot of self-report data. And there's nothing wrong with um, a subjective experience. Uh, now, that, I mean... Uh, it, it can be misconstrued by some researchers as, oh, well, if it's only a subjective experience, then there's really no objective uh, success factors associated with it. Um, you know, okay, you, you can you can make that argument, but the same is also true for a lot of drug components that we have that are, you know, approved by the FDA. A lot of it is, uh, you know, subjective. Um, there are specific pathways that are, you know, improved but at the end of the day if it makes a person feel better like if a drug component makes someone feel better and that means that they can live their life uh more fully and you know really move forward and they just have a better quality of life um isn't that what we want like that's the end goal isn't it so <laughs> does it really matter uh if it's subjective or not um and you know, one one more uh, idea, which I think I was just thinking when you were talking about this experience is being very subjective, is that, you know, a lot of times we as people and our change, our, 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 our brains change, even our bodies change when we're exposed to certain environments, like, like food, right? And do, do you think that change a lot of times can cannot be pursued by us as individuals in the sense i might think i did not change over the course of last two years which is my personal perception but that not necessarily might be the case because just because i could not pursue it does not mean it did not happen right so 
what you're saying is um, enacting change versus experiencing change. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So that's that's difficult, right? Um, yeah, like in the sense, is, isn't there a possibility that uh, psychedelic drugs might be changing uh, the brain or the body from a very objective sense? It's just that the science has not caught on to it. Oh, no, um, it definitely is. So this is why, okay, uh, for example, that study that I that I mentioned earlier, um, which I'm sorry, I don't have uh, the citation stored in my head. So for listeners, I'll send this to, to, to the Sunday Pajamas Research <laughs> Labs and uh, they can publish it in the show notes or something like that. But um, it only occurred over a course of a five-day period. So let me stress that it's a very short time window that they studied, right? Now, um, when we're talking about uh, microdosers, they typically use this stuff for months. So they'll they'll take a break from from a protocol for like maybe a couple weeks or something. Some people use it seasonally, so some people use it only in the winter, um, and some people use it you know throughout the whole year, taking specific break times. You know, they follow a specific protocol. Um, there is there is no study yet that I'm aware of uh, that has the measurement of of how someone might change, whether that be the the actual uh, structure of their brain, the structure of their neurons in their brain, um, or the pathways in their brain, or you know the uh, uh, the the precursory processes that trigger events. Uh, or, or thought events um, in the brain or that uh, uptake specific compounds into the receptors of, of your brain or your body. Um, there is, there's really nothing, there's no data on that yet. Um, so of, of course, it's, I, I think, I think that it's possible because um, for example, have you ever done a, a diet for um, an extended period of time? I've not done a diet, but I would say I, I, I tried intermittent fasting for like four months. Yeah. So, um, for example, intermittent fasting, uh, it actually has um, it, a huge effect on your neurochemistry because of your circadian cycle and your rhythm. So the consistent pattern uh, can reflect um, changes in, in how your body responds to different uh, stimuli um, also your, 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 your glucose, uh, like how, how you respond to, to, to sugar, uh, like your blood sugar spikes and stuff like that, that has an effect on how you can perform day-to-day -day functions. You know, it, it cleans out your liver. Okay. So if your liver is clean and it, or more clean and it's able to, uh, process enzymes much faster, that's going to change your body. And especially if you follow it for a, a long time. We already know that following um, different lifestyle protocols like intermittent fasting or exercise, sauna, uh, cold plunge therapy, stuff like that, um, it has changes on how your uh, your body can accept uh, certain states and certain environments. Um, now that's good information to have. So why why isn't that possible for like psychedelics? Well, it is. We just don't have the data yet. And I'm sure that, um, you know, a long enough time passes uh, that someone records 
uh, their experiences, um, both subjectively and through cognitive assessments, we're going to see some change in things. Um, and you can account for, uh, you know, life events or, um, you know, how much coffee did you have versus not and stuff like that. Uh, it's really, um, it, it's, it's a very touchy system, the human body. So I'm, I'm sure it has effects. I mean, it, it would baffle me if there weren't long-term effects and changes in your body and your mind from using this stuff. Yeah, like, for example, like, very thinking from a very basic level, right? If, if someone is depressed or someone is, um, you know, going through anxiety and, um, you know, your entire thought process changes when you are in that state of mind and the way you deal with other people and the way you deal with yourself and your relationship with, let's say, the environment around you is very different when you are in that state and a lot of research papers uh, you know kind of explain that microdosing can help you with uh, social behavior it can it can drastically improve how you interact with other people in your life and don't, don't you feel that that's like solid change yeah yeah for sure and so that's uh that's why i decided to set up silly the way that it is, because I wanted to make sure that people didn't just decide, okay, um, microdosing is going to be my solution. Okay, it might be part of your solution, but what you should also try to incorporate is 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 known uh, solutions to to problems like depression or anxiety or stuff like that. For example, um, a depressed individual uh, can improve their depressive state by sticking to uh, an EPA uh, schedule. So uh, uh, essential fatty acids, EPA. So like omega-3 and omega-6, uh, you can use it in fish oil, krill oil. Um, you know, it's popular in, in foods, uh, you know, like meats and fish, uh, have these components, um, you know, readily accessible in them and stuff like that, especially like salmon or caviar and stuff like that. Um, these are known substances to, uh, decrease depressive, uh, effects. Um, and that's just a, that's a nutritional supplement or, or that's just a diet that you can use. Um, now we should be thinking about, um, psychedelics kind of through the same lens, I think, uh, as you know, it's something that you take, it has an impact on your brain. Um, it works more like a drug than it does, a a, a nutritional supplement. Um, that's quite obvious at this point. Um, you know, so that's, it, it should just be considered as a tool as opposed to like a solution, you know. It's most definitely only for the brain because uh, like the microdoses are pretty consistent regardless of, you know, what your weight is. Yeah, so we have to be careful when we're talking about that because, um, so your your brain and your body, we think about them as like two different things, but it's the same thing. Like your brainstem goes down your spine uh, and your, your nervous system feeds, feeds into your brain and your nervous system responds to changes in, you know, uh, you know, things that are in your bloodstream, uh, how well your liver is processing things. Uh, what's the state of your kidneys? Did you eat something that's really greasy? You know, um, all those things, uh, have immediate effects on your brain and the city of your brain has effects on your body. Um, it's, it's one system. And so we should think about it like that. So when we talk about the effects on the brain that psychedelics have, um, there are of course downstream, 
uh, effects in the body. I actually am not very familiar with what those effects are, but the the reason that we discuss psychedelics in terms of uh, brain, uh, like like a brain compound, is because the the effects are so um, profound in the consciousness. So, I mean, for most people, it, uh, it it's known to, to, to impact the consciousness or their perception of their own consciousness uh, very profoundly, especially at higher doses, um, which is why I think we think about it in terms of a brain compound. It also has very unique uh, pathways that it takes, uh, like uh, specifically psilocybin or um, lysergic acid diethylamide. Um, in, in the brain, the pathways that it takes and the things that it stimulates are, um, very, very interesting and unlike other things, which is why people usually discuss the brain when they're talking about these components. Um, but it has effects, uh, across your whole body, you know, it's. But it's not, it's not really studied that much yet to, to be exactly sure as to what really happens uh yeah correct and um you know people have started uh to discuss this but i mean it's going to be a long time um until we understand the full scope and scale of how these components affect the entire uh, body process i mean we haven't even really at least that i'm aware of uh discussed the impact of like psychedelics on like circadian rhythm and, you know, like, for example, sleep is like the number one thing that you should try to optimize um, because that is that is like the conductor of your life. Like if you sleep well and, and if you have horrible depression, if you sleep well one night, your depression is going to be significantly less uh, intense the next day um, because you slept well. Because your your body and your brain went through its flushing cycle and its reset cycle, um, what I, I mean, one of the things that we need to look out for is you know how psychedelic use, chronic psychedelic use affects sleep. If it disrupts sleep, then you know you need to figure out a protocol that makes it so uh, you can still maintain a healthy circadian cycle and you know, especially because of the proclivity of psychedelics to induce uh, early onset psychosis or schizophrenia. You want to make sure uh, that you're not coupling that with poor sleep because poor sleep is also uh, responsible for early onset psychosis or schizophrenia um, and people who are subject to that, uh, you know, genetically predisposed to um, those behaviors. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like we've discussed multiple times throughout like this discussion, uh, you know, there's the pros, which everyone is interested in. Um, but like what I said earlier is what I found more insightful was the cons was what are the potential negatives that could come of these things or their, their people's usage habits of these protocols and these substances um, that negatively impact their life. Because one one bad day can undo like a whole good week you know and that's just how we're built so you really have to that's you know i've tried to construct silly as a system to mitigate bad more than expose good because you know no one even knows what 
all the good means, you know, like what is, what is a good protocol? Like no one knows that yet. Okay. So what do we do then? Well, we try to mitigate the bad parts of the protocol and maybe we can approximate something that's good. Yeah. I think we didn't discuss that, but I, I would, I mentioned that even your app is more like a safety net for a lot of people who might want to, you know, live this lifestyle. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's a healthy way of looking at it. And also, I think that's a healthy frame to approach the application if you're a user. Um, you know, I think some people come to applications as uh, like almost as if like a catch-all tool that's going to solve all their problems and stuff like that. And that's, uh, you know, that's that's not the case, I don't think. Um what what I think we need to try to do as a society is when we're talking about apps, we're talking about healthcare, we're talking about, um, you know, fitness and wellness uh, and mental health and stuff like that is how do we construct tools that people can use uh, to, to gain a better understanding and have a, a more consistently healthy lifestyle? Uh, that's the real question because when when people come to you to to solve their problem, that means that they've already given up agency and their own autonomy in solving their problems, right? And that's not really like I don't you know some people need that and some people need a crutch, and we have systems in place for that. But what I what I think needs to happen is um, we need to start looking at apps and healthcare and technology uh, that we decide to deploy into the world as something that can, as you said, be a safety net, be a ladder, a structured ladder so that you, you know, it's, it's not an elevator. It doesn't just automatically lift you up. No, like it's a staircase. You like, it's there and you know, uh, it might not be a perfect staircase to get where you want to go, but at least it's there. It's something to help. It's something to guide. Um, so that, that, that's how I, kind of look at this stuff yeah and i i think it really reflects in the way you are building the app also like it's very flexible it adapts to whatever you're trying to do there are no suggestions there are no this is the right way to do things yeah well i mean if i if i made a claim that i knew the right protocols for for you for me for everyone i'd be a fool <laughs> that would not be it's impossible especially across time. I mean, like, think about that too. Like, think about if I decided to say, I know the right protocol for you, not only today, but tomorrow when you're feeling down and the next day when you're feeling great. No. <laughs> so if, if let's say Silly has to ad advocate itself, like the, the safety net idea that we're discussing. Yeah. How, how would you explain it to someone who, who you just met like how, how do you explain silly to them oh yeah i would just say uh hey stranger uh here's a tool that you can use uh basically what it is is that you submit um what you're using on a day-to-day -day basis whether that be uh, medications that you have or nutritional supplements and if you want to see how they're impacting uh kind of your personal well-being in your lifestyle this is a tool that you can use Yes. And do you think maybe you, it, it can be more generalized uh, for doctors maybe who are interacting with their patients and like... Uh, possibly. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't see why it couldn't be. I mean, like, so for example, if a user decides that they want to put in a, a medicine that they're using and they want to track how that's impacting them, like let's say if someone's on an antidepressant um, and they want to see how the antidepressant is, is affecting them over time, th that's a perfectly viable thing that they can use the application for. Um, that's kind of like what I like about the, the system in general is, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's very generalizable, customizable to what the user's needs are, not necessarily to, uh, you know, what I think the user's needs are. I, I think I'm trying to say something else. I'm trying to share in a way, like, for example, if there is a therapist who is uh, prescribing antidepressants to his or her patient, do, do, do you think like a therapist can help multiple patients, like keep a track on all the patients and how they are doing with their dosing? using the app. Yeah, I mean I don't see why that couldn't be the case. Um I I have thought about that. Um eventually I'm I'm sure I'll I'll develop a product for that. I don't know if it's going to be silly. Uh it might be something similar or it might be a companion application uh that that users of silly can use to share their data with their their doctors or something like that or their therapist. Um, you know, it also, uh, it is your data. Um, so maybe I can just quickly solve that with, uh, the ability to, uh, download your own data, like onto your device or your phone, or like have it emailed to you or something like that. Um, but when we're talking about, uh, you know, integrating with the medical community, uh, that intensely where doctors or therapists can potentially, uh, manage, even their their patients through an application, then you're talking about something different. Um, there's you know a lot of regulations that come with that. Um, also, like if a user is using um, something that is like for example, like if they're in a different country and the compound that they're using is illegal in that country, uh, I, I wouldn't want a user to be exploited because they also have their personal information connected to a therapist or a doctor uh, or some um, regulated body in that country. Uh, or, you know, for example, if um, someone shares their data with their doctor uh, and then they travel somewhere else and someone finds out that they're using something, uh, you know, like the whole Brittany Grinder story where she was uh, using marijuana. Um, in a different country, even though uh, in most places in the country that she is from, she would still be arrested for using marijuana. <laughs> um, she uh, so like, you know, it's I, I've tried to construct the system to protect the user. It's anonymized. There's, you know, there's no connections with the outside world. Um, you know, maybe I'll have a, a, a thing where you can download your own data and then you can share it on your own time um, with a doctor or something like that. Um, they can look at the data. Maybe, maybe I'll have something where there's a report system where you can just print out a report of your usage and your statistics and stuff like that, not just the raw data, uh, and, and figure out all that. Um, but really like I'm trying to democratize your, your own data. So like, uh, you know, um, you should, you should have ownership of your data. And I think this is something that like the tech community misses a lot of times. Um, on the, on the name of convenience. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like, a, you know, I, I understand that you're a company and 
um, you can exploit user data and stuff like that, uh, you know, to produce a better product or, you know, even a better experience for the user. But um, at what cost? Yeah, yeah. There's a scientist at MIT that talks about this as um, uh, Lex Friedman is his name. And he he frequently says, like, I, I wish there was a, you know, just like a like a parachute that you could pull and, and say, like, I'm out, like, you know, get your get your data and like delete it. And, and that's probably going to be implemented through like a blockchain system um, or, or, you know, like it, it will take a system to do that because, um, you know, you can't really trust companies to like securely delete your data uh, anymore, especially like this. Um, I mean, you know, that that's like still even a problem that like we have to deal with and cope with is when a user wants to delete their data, you know, how do we go about that process? Um, and especially like if a researcher already has their hands on anonymized data, like how do we go about that? You know, it, what does the anonymized data mean to the user if it's, if it, it's not traceable back to them? I, I don't know. And also like, how do we find out where the user's anonymized data is? Because that's that's a tricky question, right? <laughs> and you know, one one thing I find extremely I don't know funny. I would say it's also very sad but funny, is that Apple sells all the products on the name of privacy, and their claim of privacy is that we don't share data with anyone. We keep it to ourselves, and then we do whatever we want with it. So. It's, I, I find it kind of tricky how Apple defines privacy. It's like, we're not showing it to anyone, but it's okay if we look at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if our apps, our services, our teams are looking at your data, yeah, it's still private. But if Facebook is looking at it, then it's not private. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, It's... Yeah, I, I mean, also, we have to think that, like, maybe we're also painting a bad picture of these people because of uh, other examples. So, um, you know, I'm I'm sure Apple's probably not the best, uh, you know, the best contestant for this discussion of a company that is truly using the data that is technically private in, like, the best way possible. And they're not giving it away, but they're also not doing weird, uh, kind of, like, not very... Yeah, not very good things with it. It's a tricky situation. I think the the best policy that you should have is um, data should be used to improve the life of the user. Um, and if it's not doing that, then you're probably using it incorrectly. If it's if it's being used to service your needs and your requirements and what you want to see in your bottom line and your profit margin and stuff like that, um, I understand how those things are all intermixed, right? With how how you can service the user's needs. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't, I really don't think there's an answer. Uh, like with silly, for example, we're not in like a, a network marketplace. So, you know, there's, there's no need for data to interact with anybody, but your own experience, you know, like why would I, for example, like what, what, what would it do to serve my needs uh, or the user's needs uh, if I were to share the data with a third party for like advertising purposes, like, okay, one, they're anonymized. Like the users are anonymous. Like it's just a username. And so I don't know anything about them. So how is that going <laughs> to, 
<laughs> you know, uh, and I think like if you construct a system like that, then you're you're going to be better off as a company because um, you know eventually people are going to uh, want to invest, and when they want to invest, they want to uh, see more profits, and they're willing to uh, kind of like twist your arm to do better things. I, I, but if you construct if you construct a system from day one to be something that's um, kind of uh, impervious to being manipulated and uh, kind of like exposing or exploiting user habits and stuff like that for something that might be annoying, like advertisement or like another ulterior profit motive uh, from a company, then you're, you're setting yourself up for success. Um, but you're also setting yourself up for limited opportunity for growth and expansion. And that's when you have to find, you have to basically say, okay, if I want this to be the best product for the users, this is what I have to do. But what is it going to cost me in the future? It might cost you fast growth or easy integration with um, a new and upcoming system or an institution or a marketplace or something like that. But um, at the end of the day, I think users and people in general um, appreciate that. They appreciate knowing that you're, you're not exploiting their data without them knowing you know, you're not, you're not tricking them into thinking that they're safe to discuss things or, or list things, um, you know, that might be personal or might exploit, um, exploit them in the, in the eyes of, uh, of, of regulators or, um, you know, their, their peers or their, you know, their social life and their careers and stuff like that. They shouldn't have to worry about that if they're using something. Um, so that's just my my personal opinion on it. So, so the way you have been describing your app over and over again is that you are pitching it as a tool. And it's exactly that, right? But I, I would say the one, I would say personal complaint I have with all the tools that are sold these days is that the tool has its own brain and it kind of dictates when the tool needs to be used and you know, it kind of goes beyond just being a tool and, and kind of alters your life and your behavior in a way. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I see. Yeah, I know what you're saying. So I, I would say even even with the Apple thing I was discussing, it's like it's a tool making company. Like eventually all the companies that, that are, you know, that big essentially make tools for people. But I don't seem to see any line when a tool kind of becomes more than just a tool and starts thinking and kind of controlling your behavior and eventually altering it. Yeah. So I would say that that's the, I would say the gray area I see when it, when a lot of companies talk about privacy these days, that you promised me a tool. Okay. How, how did it kind of make me a different person eventually, even, even without me noticing. Yeah, so uh, there's this um, there's this guy Eric Weinstein. He's a mathematician. Uh, he had a podcast. I don't really. I, I mean, I know that he stopped doing this podcast uh, for some reason, which is a shame because it was a joy to listen to. But um, he 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 kind of like brought up the example of how automation systems um, uh, and just recommendation systems and stuff like that for example are uh 
kind of taking away the agency that you have as a person and especially like the the opportunity to discover something completely new right you get tu- you get tunneled you know uh an image is is made of you for like advertisement purposes um to suggest or recommend things that you might be interested in um it kind of takes away the experience of walking through a grocery store for example and just being surprised and and looking at something and and saying oh that actually looks like something i would enjoy like let's try it that's taken away from you now like you get very highly focused um information presented to you and and although i'm using advertisements uh and and product placement as an example this is the same for applications like you said that act as a tool for people too um they put suggestions in front of you uh and unless unless that application you you already knew was there to make suggestions for you and you know change the way that you live in a specific way and you agreed to it beforehand that's fine i'm not talking about those types of tools but what i am talking about is a tool that says that it's there to be a dormant partner and that you use but then starts trying to reach out and put its hand on the wheel of your life <laughs> and that is annoying um you know some people might find intermittent benefit to it um and that's that's okay you know for example like um there's an app called duolingo right yeah yeah yeah. um most people are familiar with it if you're not familiar with it and you're listening to this duolingo is a language learning app you can select a link i think they have like a ridiculous amount of languages on there um i decided to start learning chinese and it was telling me you know uh it's time for a lesson, uh, time for a lesson. You haven't taken a lesson today or, you know, keep your streak going and stuff like that. Um, in that case, like it's a tool to learn a language. And in order to make sure that you stay on top of learning your language and taking your lessons every day, I have no problem with that. Right. And so like, it, it's, it's basically like, okay, a, but a, a tool that isn't there to do that. It isn't there to like prompt you to engage with it. Uh, or at least it shouldn't be. Um, silly is like one of those apps. Silly should not be like mandating you or annoying you to do a check in process or to review your protocol or to do anything like that. You know, like it, it shouldn't do that. And it, it doesn't right now. And I hope it never becomes that because that's obnoxious. Um, so yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Um, I hope silly isn't that. <laughs> so, yeah. So with with silly, for example, if it does not do that right now, but like, do you, do you get the idea that, for example, if silly sends me notification, and if I if I don't wanna do a dose today, but I see the notification, and I do the dose now now, so do do you, do you see like the unintended consequence? Does this make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's part of the customizability of uh, the protocols. So if you, for example, uh, don't want to receive a reminder every day because you want to make sure that you're maintaining a specific protocol and you only want to use a dose on the day that you're supposed to use it, you know, you schedule out that protocol. Um, yeah, and, you know, if you are receiving a notification every day for example and you're not really 
following a strict protocol. Uh, I don't know if that's the best way to the, to use the application um, or the protocol scheduling or the notification system, because like you said, uh, if you're trying to follow a specific protocol like every other day, but you're getting a notification every day, you, you need to adjust your schedule for sure. Um, I mean, like there's probably something that needs to be discussed regarding that, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I totally hear you. Um, and I've, I've been noticing this recently because I'm, I'm reading a lot of, I would say product books like hooked inspired and like all the books you read, if you want to build a digital product and I, I'm not sure what I was reading, but a lot of them kind of point towards changing user behavior with the product. Right. And, and to kind of align uh, customer value with the business value, which I also understand. But I, I, I find the behavior altering part of it a bit scary, personally. Mm. Yeah, me too. Um, I mean, like, it, it, can, uh, it, can, be, it can be good and bad. Um, yeah. I, so, I mean, like, this is another space. Uh, like, this is like a, a, a user interaction and user experience space, uh, uh, space that's like um, highly researched, uh, commonly misunderstood, <laughs> and uh, not only by, by users, but by researchers and by product designers and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, like, a lot of companies have uh, mischievous... Uh, or or a cynical um or sinister uh, uh intent um like I, I won't name a company uh but there's a video company that you basically just endlessly swipe for hours on i i've never actually used it but i know people who have literally wasted hours of their day swiping through videos of dances uh because the content is in, engaging it's like psychologically manipulative and and they continue to send them alerts and notifications and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's that's dangerous. That's not good. But also, that company seems to not care, or almost seems to uh, uh, intentionally be be doing this and manipulating user behavior so that they can profit more uh, or whatever else they want to do. Um, <laughs> and so. Uh, you know, but a, a, an application or a tool set that's um, being built that's really meant to help better the user, it you, you have to find a balance, I think. And you have to find a balance because uh, you want the user to engage with the application that you're building, right? Now, and this is something that I have to constantly think about. I haven't integrated any notifications that prompt you to log into the app or use the app or anything like that or open it. Um, at all, I send you a reminder of the protocol. I send you the name of the protocol that you detailed that you want to use. And then, um, you can open the application through that. And there's a list of today's protocols uh, immediately available. So I don't really want you to spend any more time on the application that you need to. So for example, if you forgot like, oh, what is this stack? Oh, that's right. It's my vitamins. But what vitamins am I supposed to take? Okay, you open up the notification, you check out what uh, vitamins you're supposed to take, and then you should leave. 
you should just leave because you should you have to move on with your life and your day. Um, that's what this that I mean, that's what these are meant to do, right? They're meant to maintain structure and consistency and a better lifestyle and more focus and higher performance rates and stuff like that for you in your life, not for the end purpose of what the application is supposed to do. Now, this is the thing is um, a lot of companies have to uh they they basically turn to user engagement, which manipulates their lifestyle. It alters how they interact with the application and how they live their life in order to improve the product, right? Uh, but at what point does it become does it become that? And what what are what are the what are the ends? And for example, if you're interacting with the user in a downtime, I guess you could say where the user wouldn't otherwise be using the application and it negatively, it takes time away from their life, then that's bad. If, if it adds to their, if it adds to their life and it's not just for you to increase your user engagement numbers or to, uh, you know, exploit some, um, other, other, other purpose of, of, of having the user engage with the application, like an ad, or, uh, or, or connecting with another user or something like that. Um, that is increasing the, the company's profit margin in some way, or at least their, 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 the amount of data that they have of interaction and stuff like that, um, which makes them more valuable. And everyone should realize this. Um, so at the end of the day, I think that if you measure, if you measure a successful app by, uh, their interaction, what you should do is that every interaction should be a point where it's um, necessary for the user and pro- and and it's it's from the user, not from the application, because the application cannot be the the dictator of what is useful for the user. Because if it is, then you just get you know like any other application that does this annoying thing where they think they know it's best. And so they annoy you to interact with the application more. Um, so it needs to be from the user. Uh, and then it needs to also benefit the user once they actually engage with the interaction. And that's why I, I did the, the notification schedule like I did. And so like, if you don't want a notification on specific days, then you don't have to have that. You can also turn off your notifications for certain stacks and stuff like that, which I don't think a lot of people know. Um, I should probably make that a little bit more clear. Uh, and what I'm going to try to be working on is like scheduled break to break points, um, which is going to be important. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, like other features that silly deploys are going to be, um, you know, user user prompted. So, uh, for example, if you want reminders to check in because you want to maintain, uh, the ability to consistently track how you're doing regarding problem or a goal or something like that, then you should be able to prompt that of yourself, set your own reminders, but it shouldn't be me that's dictating when, when you receive that notification and when you interact with the application. So I, I think. I think I like, I agree with you on a lot of that stuff. Um, it's, it's very, uh, I mean, we live in strange times, so. <laughs> yeah. In, in the sense, like I am very, I would say strict about not letting my devices take over my life. 
to the point where I have this clock instead of a smartwatch. <laughs> so like when I when I sleep at night, I leave all my devices in the office area of my apartment. So when I'm in my bedroom, it's just me and my clock. And and this and the smartest thing this clock can do is that it has a light on it. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. that. That's all it can do. So, so I have like thought a lot about this over and over again. And to the point where even on my phone, uh, I, I have an Android Samsung phone where I use a launcher, which kind of makes the entire screen and all the apps go black and white. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's just a black screen with text on it, like a dumb phone. So it's a smartphone, but the UI of it is extremely dumb. So whenever you look at the phone, you don't just click on an click on an icon because it looks very colorful. Right. Yeah, or you see the notification thing. Yeah. And there is research on it, by the way, that, that all the icons are made uh, extremely bright in color because... That's what our brain uh, thinks is attractive, and we just click on it, even when we don't want to. Cool. Well, th- now that I know that, I'm gonna make uh, Silly's icon very dark and gloomy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's good to know that you know. Uh, I I think like the first phase of the internet. Uh, nobody really cared about this particular topics, but now like the users are waking up and they're demanding this kind of features from the companies. So I I would say in the next decade, like these are the kind of things companies would have to focus on if they really want to be in business, or at least I hope so. I think people started realizing that their life was being slowly taken away from them. And that's like very sad. I mean, you know, um, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I grew up with the internet. I grew up with phones and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I kind of look back at um, the years where I had social media. And I think that, like, I used to spend sometimes an hour or more at it just l- looking at stuff that I don't re- I don't even remember what I was looking at. And what was that? Like... <laughs> that's that's time gone like i will never get that time back and it's it's very like it's upsetting to me um i it didn't provide any like benefit um you know i i understand like um humor uh or like getting kind of like uh escapism and stuff like that um that a lot of people use these applications for that but Here's the thing is that when you use an application for like kind of like an escapism mindset, um, trying to get out of your own head and stuff like that, uh, part of the reason for anxiety is for you to realize what's going on and what's going wrong in your life. And if you suppress that anxiety by looking at people dancing on the Internet, then you've just wasted more time that you could have been spending <laughs> getting rid of the problems that are making you anxious. <laughs> so it's like, uh, hold on, guys. What are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there's like a, uh, you know, like it, 
we're, we continue to talk about this, but like, I think it's really important for people to understand that um, if you're focused on less time or, or decreasing the amount of time that you're spending on your phone for better, like health and wellness and, uh, you know, subjective experience and your quality of life, you you should probably prioritize your time spent on things that are actually improving your lifestyle um, as a, as opposed to things that are just like right in in the moment, very appealing to you. Um, that's an issue that I see a lot. And, you know, uh, device companies like um, Apple with their iPhones and like what you said with your your Samsung being able to make the screen very unappealing and stuff like that. There's those little things here and there. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, some of these companies are going to try to find workarounds to all of that stuff. And uh, they, they're they going to try to keep on bringing you back. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 very tricky, right? Because what I, what I want to happen, it, for example, like I'm going to put this in the context of silly. What I want to happen is I want to be able to prompt the user to do something that's going to benefit them. But I want it to be on the user's terms because if it's not on the user's terms, then what I've done is I've just I've just altered the way that they lived their day in that moment. And if you think about it, like if they weren't looking at their phone, and even if they think that using silly is going to be beneficial to them, um, if I prompt them in a time where they're very engaged with their life, maybe they're with a romantic partner or they're with their children or they're out at a sporting event with friends or, you know, something like that. And they're engaged in that moment and they see this thing, they see like Silly's notification pop up and they think to themselves, oh, I should do my check-in right now because the app is telling me to do the check-in right now. Uh, or, you know, here it is prompting me to do something. Um, that's very, I, I mean, uh, if they disengage from life, and is that a positive or a negative? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, but I would like to stick to the safe side of things and saying, okay, well, let's attempt to not inject ourselves into their life because, well, they could be experiencing positive, uh, basically positive steps or steps in the right direction. Maybe if they have a problem with looking at their phone all the time, and this engagement has, uh, you know, I don't want them to confuse, uh, I don't want users to confuse, oh, hey, here's a thing that popped up on my phone and it's good for me. And so therefore I should use it. Okay. But if, yes, but within the context of your, of your life. And so luckily like devices, you know, you have, uh, you know, do not disturb mode, uh, or, or things like that, which are, which are helpful. Um, but, and, and, you know, you, you also don't need to uh, have notifications enabled, stuff like that. Um, it's useful, but, like, we have a long way to go on all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's only very recently, like, we are kind of asking these questions and demanding these kind of things from the industry as well. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well apart, from, apart from that, I would say I, I saw that on the website you're, you're looking for someone for marketing. Yes, yes. Uh, I am looking for someone for marketing, and I am having a tough time finding someone for marketing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would, uh, I, I would do the marketing myself. Um, 
however it takes it, it takes a dedicated 10 to 12 hours a week and uh what i would it, at least 10 to 12 hours a week um and depending on what i'm working on i sometimes can't consistently do 10 hours a week and what i would like our marketing to be is um informative stuff about the industry about the marketplace about like psychedelics about science about stuff like that that are, is actually going to you know help the users uh you know basically just newsletters and social media stuff that kind of um gets the word out there about things that make a protocol more successful things that make how they interact with the application more successful and just kind of better indicators of um uh, an improved uh quality of life um so i would like someone to take that over i haven't been able to found any uh, to find anybody uh to handle that stuff yet and um you know it's it's difficult uh so if anybody's out there and you're interested in the psychedelic space or science and uh you have a, a, a pretty good eye for marketing and you're a good writer then you know reach out to me <laughs> so okay well i would say uh this was a pretty enlightening conversation it uh all, we almost did two hours almost yeah well i mean um I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, your, your questions were uh, very intriguing. Um, you definitely highlighted some things that I, I should probably spend more time thinking about, um, especially in terms of like user privacy. Um, I mean, even though like the user privacy for Silly is like, quite extensive, <laughs> like very extensive, um, you know, it's still internal. You know, what do we do with that? Um, yeah, and it, it's also uh, kind of opened my eye to uh, kind of make the application a little bit more understandable and uh, easily navigable um, so that like terms kind of become uh, common, I guess you could say, uh, or easily understood, you know, like uh, what is a protocol? What is a stack? Like what, is, you know, what, what does all this stuff mean? Um, because, you know, for, for right now, most of the users are uh kind of like what i would say experts in this space um so you know new people who have never interacted with the stuff i need to definitely work on uh making it more accessible to that market yeah but maybe you can just simply add like a light bulb button with a dock on it and in the dock we can just you know lay out everything like okay what is a stack how to think about a stack, what is a protocol, how to think about a protocol and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to do that today, actually. <laughs> so. It's a it's a new space. I, I like the safety net um, perspective on it. The, the, the safety net bit that we discussed. Uh, I was trying to wrap my head around the idea. Uh, in the beginning, I, I, I thought Silly is more like a bridge between user data and researchers. But then... So that's what I thought before we had our first conversation. And and then you kind of mentioned about the goals and challenges part of it. And then my perspective kind of shifted. I was like, oh, maybe this is more like a life enhancement app. Yeah. Yep. So from the bridge, I went to life enhancement. And yeah, and, and then today I would say we kind of went in the safety net direction, which is which also kind of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's really, um, you know, it's like, uh, it, it's it's pretty much like any other health and wellness 
application that's out there. It's just, um, it's just very, it's, it's hyper-focused on, uh, you know, consistent protocol management. Um, which is like kind of unfortunate that other applications haven't, uh, done that, but I mean, maybe there's a reason for that. Um, like one of my favorite applications to use is whoop. Uh, if you heard about it, um, and oh my God, they are great. Uh, they're a wearable technology company. They're mostly for athletes, but um, if you if you use it to track your sleep and your exercise and stuff like that, um, it's pretty good. I would like to one day um, kind of be like the whoop of, of nutrition and like supplement protocols and stuff like that. Um, but we'll see, you know. Well, I would say uh, this uh, with this, we kind of we will be concluding the episode. And uh, I had fun, you know, I, I, I would recommend that in a couple of months, maybe we can do like a check-in session again and see, you know, where things are going. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, judging by how quickly they're moving right now, a lot will have changed. So I would, I, I really enjoyed our discussion. And, um, you know, if, if you'd like to have me back on, I'd love to come back on. So and I, yeah, and I was listening to um, a couple of other episodes too uh, of, of the Sunday Pajamas Research Labs podcast um, on Spotify. And so go go listen to it if you're listening to this. And so uh, you guys have a lot of interesting discussions. Yeah, we have had this kind of conversations with so many people. And it's kind of interesting that people are spending a lot of time doing things that you have not at least even started thinking about. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. I And I love... Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of jealous that like, I, I don't have a podcast, uh, like you do because I would, I would love to talk to people just about what they're doing and like learning more about like their success and their failures and stuff like that. And, you know, what their experiences in an industry or a space that I'm unfamiliar with, um, and people's approaches to things are, um, so, uh, so diverse and it's and and like it's so cool to hear about how they're like like experience i mean like for example like my experience and like how i approach the psychedelic space and like how i got here i don't think is like what anybody would expect you know like it's i like i don't like, like just someone who's never had any experience with psychedelics decided that they were going to start working on a company in the psychedelic space like it, that's not what you would think but that's just what happened um and like you know other people like i've heard multiple stories from people about how they basically stumbled into a place and like made something and you know i think there's something to that right i think that like uh a beginner's mindset in a space and like the unfamiliarity kind of like uh induces uh the creative process uh, of problem solving and understanding something in a different way through a different lens that's not kind of like the standard or the normal that everyone else seems to be expect accepting and and you know a funny funny story is th this is exactly how we started the podcast in the sense i am not a host of anything the only thing i host is my friends and family for dinners everywhere i go yeah and then I was, uh, funny enough, I was in New York for four months and I just spent every day just meeting a lot of people to the point where I befriended one person 
I was in New York for the first time, so I don't know anything, right? So it was basically me asking her questions for like 40 minutes straight. And then she's like, you ask a lot of questions, bro. And I was like, yeah, because I don't know anything around here. <laughs> and then we became friends. And then she was like, maybe you should do a podcast. And I was like, okay, I can do that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, there's something about uh, being foolish that um, you have to you have to investigate so thoroughly, and that that brings out, I think, things that other people maybe subconsciously ignore or just don't know or they're ignorant to. Like I would say, last year uh, in June or July, I did a podcast with a fellow friend of mine on cloud computing. And then I got so hooked by the idea of like AWS and GCP and like Terraform and how they are doing things. Oh, I love AWS. Yeah, I, I work a lot with the AWS people. They're fantastic. Yeah, I ended up doing the AWS certification, the Solution Architect Associate. And then I, I don't know, I was, I was never like a tech person, but I got so intrigued by the idea of it. I just did the certification just to get started. And then, you know, worked on Terraform a bit this year. And like, I, I really want to go deeper into that. Yeah. But the whole idea of it kind of came from the podcast. Like, that's what I was trying to say. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. Like the guest kind of compelled me to kind of do it. So if, ah. you're, if, you don't, if you're not doing a podcast, right, you should totally do it. I highly recommend. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't think um, my podcast would be very interesting, but, um, you know, <laughs> I would just talk about nerd stuff all the time. So, which uh, trust me, that's very interesting, at least to me. I mean, that's what I'm listening to almost all day. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, when you when you ask right about the whole broadcast thing, the the one problem that I'm noticing over and over again, like for example, I I worked in with a company in Singapore and Dubai and Germany and also New York, right? And it kind of seems to me that all the very good ideas are kind of siloed in these locations. And, and yes, there are podcasts and online pub and all of those online things. But if you don't know what to Google, right, you will never Google them. Right. Right. So like one, one idea with the research labs podcast, and we call it research labs for, for this particular reason is that we want to work with uh, research labs, like literal research labs, and take those scientists and take those ideas and kind of just give them like a, f like a front page. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some visibility, yeah. Some visibility, right? Because the scientists are not the celebrities. They are not going to go on MTV or something and publicize what they're doing. Well, that's um, that's the important role of like the the internet in terms of like media distribution right now. Well, I mean, like because like typical uh, or I, I should say antiquated media like uh, news and stuff was what people used to find out like information and in in new discoveries about. Um, it's nice now that people have uh, uh, the ability, like for example, like you're providing like a genuine service to the world by finding things that you think are interesting and good and uh, people should know about and bringing them to the forefront. And so thank you also, for, you know, for exposing your, or, uh, like, uh, like your platform, um, 
all the things that you're interested in and like giving silly a chance to be presented to people who could find it interesting or useful um, and stuff like that. What's nice about that is that we're no longer reliant on people who have like uh, ownership or um, perverse incentives or like, uh, you know, stakes in different companies and stuff like that, only showing like what they want people to know about. Um, and I think that's, you know, there's good and bad to that. I think there's like uh, one, uh, we don't really know what to do with all of this information uh, that we're that we're now getting. But two. Um, the information is, uh, is, is, is much more visible. Like there's more of it. It's less biased and stuff like that. Um, and you're providing a service by filtering it, like doing your own research and your own work and then saying, okay, like this is something that I think people should listen to or should, should know about and should hear about and let's talk about it. So, and the way that you do it, like, this is why, like, I love listening to podcasts and why podcasts are so interesting to me is because like when you get a discussion about things um, and I hope I did this accurately with, with silly today too, probably didn't, but oh, well still learning. (laughs) Uh, It's like you get to see not only like what silly is, but also you get to see like what my motivation was and that should inform you, right? Like a person's motivation, you should be able to look at that. That should be important. Yeah, it should. It should. And like if someone's motivation is like perverse or it's obscure um, or it's hidden and they're they're not really like willing to present it and kind of expose themselves, like you should immediately question what they're doing. <laughs> like, even like, I mean, especially if they say it's something that's supposed to be good uh, and they're not willing to say like exactly why they're they're doing what they're doing or like their storyline is kind of like you know they're they're not really like talking about it it's like hmm what are what are you really up to here yeah yeah and and adding to your internet revolution point right uh, this podcast is not possible in any conventional way no <laughs> yeah yeah because we're talking to people from i would say like a lot of different countries and if you did it in a, in a conventional studio format, just the cost of getting these people from wherever they are to the studio would be too high. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, it's yeah, yeah. So this whole idea that even we are doing this, right, it kind of blows my mind every day, even though I'm doing it, but it does not make sense to me. Yeah, well, that's kind of how I, that's how I look like, yeah, that that's how I look at a, like, silly right now is, um well, I, like, I had this moment when actually the moment that I was talking about when I was refactoring some things and I looked at the goals and I realized that people were using them, even though I didn't think that people were using them, I got to see people from all over the world, like people writing their goals in different languages, people writing their goals, like from different time zones, um, different contexts, uh, like some, somebody was saying that they want to pass like the CompTIA exam. I don't even know what that is, but I'm pretty sure it's like the law exam for Portugal or something. Like, I've never been to Portugal. I don't know anybody from Portugal, yet I'm directly interacting with someone from Portugal by providing a product that they're using. And that, to me, like, blew my mind. And how you can possibly, like, uh, improve people's lives or interact with people's lives and stuff like that. Um, 
because of technology like i don't it's very humbling like it's 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 powerful but like it's also like wow like there's there's people that are like relying on this for for like their own life and their own purposes and just like how podcasts like people are relying now now people are relying on podcasts to like actually show them information like information in a more unbiased and uh interesting and introspective way uh that has not been possible until the technology has been presented to us but it's wild yeah and i'm i'm just glad that you know we are kind of i, I would say like the idea behind the startup program was to kind of be with the creators of of this kind of i would say not change as such but like technologies personally right i'm just so excited to kind of be in that room doesn't make sense yeah yeah whoa what what are, what are they doing what <laughs> you think the idea that i'm getting exposed to this information right now i'm like okay i'll, I'll make money somewhere else dude <laughs> just just let me work on this <laughs> yeah no i i totally get you yeah no it's it's pretty baffling it's cool i, I don't know uh technology and like the nerd world is um definitely very exciting and crazy how interconnected the whole world is so you hear about like these diverse ranges of experiences that people come from and like their approach to things and their technology stacks that they use and stuff like that i mean i have like a pretty narrow um uh focus on technology i mean i'm like i'm i'm basically like married to the people at aws like so, <laughs> so. <laughs> no they they're great i mean like uh there's like a there's a whole like uh like community of of people like on uh like various discord servers and forums and stuff like that that will like ask questions and stuff like that so i help them out and then when i have an issue that i need help with i ask them and um people from aws like who are actually working at aws also like uh get involved and we start like uh pull requests and stuff like that to fix clis and open source toolkits that they have and stuff like that. Um it's really fun. That actually also might be a community. Yeah, I'm I'm going to talk to uh, AWS consultant from Germany and he in my opinion is like a AWS CDK expert. Uh so there's this toolkit, a CLI toolkit called AWS Amplify. Uh oh yeah, I, I know about that. Yeah, yeah. Directly Figma to Well, yeah, they have they have that, but the CLI is a CloudFormation uh template. So, um if you've used AWS, like you can deploy serverless stacks, completely serverless stacks, which is like the future and the present and like if you're not using serverless, like what are you doing? Um <laughs> and so uh uh it it deploys a CloudFormation template. And so you can actually like um you can interact with CloudFormation uh the cloudformation template through either the amplify cli or you can actually go into the console or the aws cli and adjust your amplify stack uh accordingly um there they have a uh uh a, a a discord server uh if you look in the discussion rooms you will see me uh frequently helping people out with like their their issues and stuff like that um but uh you should definitely talk with um uh with like some of the 
people who host office hours on Thursdays. Uh, but yeah, there's um uh, like it's a it's it's a community for sure, uh, and a lot of people are involved and contribute. Um, I think that would be like a cool uh, community for you to interact with um, if you wanted to. Um, and I, I enjoyed our discussion today um, and the chance to be on your on your podcast and discuss silly and stuff like that. Yeah, this was this was very interesting and very fun. Well, Patrick, I would say this was fun. This was very insightful. But this is definitely like a, a super fun conversation and um, made me like also really think a little bit harder about uh, some nuanced aspects of not only the app, but like the psychedelic space in general. So um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, everyone on Sunday Pajamas, uh, listen to it. Like this is this is great.